Welcome to Between the Headphones, a Georgia sports podcast. I'm John James, sports editor at Red and Black, and your host for this podcast series. Each week, I'll talk to Red and Black sports reporters to get the pulse of UGA athletics, basically a source. This week, I'll be joined by Red and Black assistant sports editor Owen Gordon and digital sports editor Bo Underwood. Up first, we'll talk to Bo to review Georgia's 52-17 win over Ole Miss on Saturday. Welcome back to the show, Bo. Thank you for having me, John. Good to be back. Absolutely. So, obviously, off the top, there was a lot of hype going into this game. Top 10 matchup. Looked very promising in the first quarter. Both teams are scoring. Looked like it was going to be fun. And then it went off the rails. What happened? Yeah, it ended up not being being very fun for Ole Miss. I think what happened was Georgia played basically a flawless game on offense. Like, Carson Beck was legit not touched the entire game. I don't think I'm exaggerating very much by saying that. They didn't have a single negative play the entire game, which is just such a crazy stat to me. If you go the whole game and you're going forwards, um, I think you played basically perfect. The running game looked really good. Kevin Milton had his best game of the year. The defense, I think they slept in a little bit. A, what, a lot of touchdowns on the first drive for, I think, like the fourth game in a row or something like that. Some some number like that. And then I think they woke up in the middle of the game. Not the middle of the game. And then realized we are bigger and faster than they are. C.J. Allen really stepped up. Great game from him. The whole defensive line played great. From a whole team standpoint, it was the most complete game they've had all year. And Georgia playing a complete game is better than probably any team in the country. Speaking of that defensive performance, the Ole Miss running back, Quinshawn Judkins, as he was kind of hyped up going into the game, how did Georgia's defense do with containing him and containing that running game? Yeah, I thought they did a great job. Quinshawn Judkins was somebody that I was really anticipating a huge game from him. He's he's like my personal like favorite running back in the SEC to watch just because he just he runs so hard and so angry. That first drive was a bit concerning for Georgia. He basically scored a touchdown on two plays in a row because of those penalties. I think that he scored. There was like a hold or something, some procedural play maybe, and they moved it back, and he just scored again. That, so that I saw that, and I was like, oh, he, they're going to be able to run the ball today. Uh, I was wrong <laughs> because once Georgia's linebackers clicked, um, it's like they were just fitting everything that Ole Miss tried. And Ole Miss deserves credit for never, they never really abandoned the run, despite how much they were down. If you look at the box score, there's a ton of different guys that they gave the ball to. They ran the ball, I have I have the box score right here, they ran the ball 45 times, which says a lot about them as a team, but, you know, unfortunately for them, Georgia punched them back just about every single time, and they weren't really able to carve out a lot of yards. Yeah, honestly, the difference to me was that at a certain point, the running game just stopped working, mm-hmm. as well as it did in the first quarter, at least. And that's when, like, Georgia started to pull away and Ole Miss couldn't really keep up because, like, there were some drives where Quinshawn Judkins would just, like, run into the center of the line of scrimmage and Georgia would stop him for one yard and then he would do it again. And suddenly it was third yeah, and eight. Yeah, now it's third and eight and you don't know what you're And doing. what are you doing with Jackson Dart? <laughs> and that was just, like, it, Ole Miss, yeah. the coaching decisions, I was just a little bit confused about on Ole Miss's side. Yeah. But, uh... They they stuck with that run, man. For better or worse, they stuck with it. On the other side of the ball, though, Georgia had a really good day on the ground, which you already talked about. I mean, Kendall Milton had a career high, 127 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, What were they doing to get him that kind of performance? How how did that happen? Yeah, the offensive line just played a spectacular 
game of football. I mean, with all of the Amer- Amer- getting Amari Smith back, first of all, cannot be understated. That is maybe the most talented offensive lineman in the country. Like that kid's gonna go in the first round, and he has like almost no tape. I know I'm exaggerating a little bit, but my point is, Mary Smims is really good, and it's good that he's back. You know, for all of the shuffling around and the movement that this O-line has had to do, like, it's been tough for them to really settle in and just play a game where they're just mauling people, and they definitely did that against Ole Miss. They deserve a lot of credit for clearing out holes for everybody, not just Milton, and keep making sure Beck was just basically chilling in the pocket the entire game. I also think a lot of this has to do with the fact, though, that Kendall Milton looks healthy for the first time in how long he's had some nagging knee stuff some hamstring stuff that's been bothering him basically all year and probably before that too but there were a a couple cuts that he made against Ole Miss that I saw and I was like he would not have been able to do that in September you know yeah so he played great and he looked like the player that I think a lot of Georgia fans were expecting when he came out of high school as the you know the recruit that he was yeah, the biggest stat to me wasn't 127 yards and it wasn't two touchdowns. It was the fact that he did all of that on nine carries. Yeah, The offensive line was making huge holes, and Kendall took advantage of that, partially because he did look more explosive than he has in a long time during that game. And also, like, on that his 33-yard touchdown, he was untouched. Yeah, <laughs> just walked in. <laughs> Ole Miss played that completely wrong, and he, he just had green grass in front of him. Mm-hmm. He just walked into the end zone. But that was just the icing on top of a pretty emphatic win for the Bulldogs in this one. Did you think there was anything that they could have improved on from this game? Yeah, I think the de- I already brought this up, but I think the defense just needs to start better. I think having the home crowd there really played a big role in preventing Ole Miss from getting too hot and getting you know too much early momentum off of those touchdowns that they scored early in the game. But Georgia just Georgia cannot have this trend where they allow teams to score on the first drive every play because if you allow that to the wrong team and you allow the wrong team to get juiced up and you know feel like they're ready to play with you for 60 minutes that's not good it's not good for anybody particularly not Georgia so you know like for example like if Tennessee goes down the field 75 yards on their first drive in Neyland next week and you allow that crowd to get into the game like that it could become a really, really hostile environment really quickly. So the defense needs to nip that in the bud quickly and make a statement early and really just kind of get a little tougher at the beginning of these games. Yeah, I think the issue there is it's just going to put so much pressure on the offense. Like, you mm-hmm. have to respond in that yeah. situation or you're in danger of going down two scores in, like, the first 10 minutes of the game, and that's never a place you want to be in, especially mm-hmm. if you're going to somewhere like Neyland Stadium or if you're in the postseason where you need to make a big comeback with the fate of your season on the line. So, like, it's it's just a thing that has to be cleaned up, or it could put Georgia in, in some tough situations. But they weren't in a tough situation against Ole Miss. They were not. What is your biggest takeaway from Georgia's 52-17 to victory over the Rebels? My biggest takeaway is something that I've believed since week one, but that this is the best team in the country. All these questions that have been asked about Mike Bobo and about Carson Beck and about the run game, about the D-line, they all look very silly right now. They all look very frivolous. There are always things that, you know, a football team and this team can get better at. I don't think Georgia's played a perfect game yet because if they did, they would win 80 to nothing. But for the most part, I, I don't think anyone in this country is playing better than Georgia is right now. It should, you know, we'll, we'll see how they finish out the regular season and then they've got to go play Bama and really prove that they are the best team in the not the country, but the SEC. 
But, yeah, right now, I mean, this team looks like it's in rare form. They look like they're in championship mode. This team is really, really good. That's my takeaway. Yeah, my takeaway, similar to yours, whatever week they played Kentucky, is that when this team gets rolling, they are definitely the best team in the country. It's just they haven't always been rolling, particularly when they go on the road. They struggled mm-hmm. against Auburn. They didn't beat Vanderbilt nearly as handily as they should have. Mm-hmm. Florida was weird because that's a technically a neutral site, but there were some there were some troubles in that game too until Florida made a completely boneheaded fourth down decision. <laughs> but look, going forward, they'll need to make make sure they can perform in, no matter where they're playing because they're not going to be playing at home for much longer. For any longer yeah, this year, all, actually. Yeah. It, it is all foreign territory from now on, and Georgia has to make sure they can move the ball, they can shut down o- opposing offenses no matter where they're playing. But while we wait to see if that can happen, thank you very much for coming on the show, folks. Thank you for having me, John. Appreciate it as always. Now, We'll be joined by Assistant Sports Editor Owen Warden as we look ahead to Georgia's matchup against Tennessee on Saturday. Welcome back to the show, Owen. John, it's an absolute pleasure to be back right here. So we're talking about the final SEC matchup of the year, but this isn't last year's Tennessee team. What changed for this Volunteers team during the offseason? Well, I think the biggest thing is they lost their key offensive pieces and ultimately kind of thought that, you know, some of the guys they had coming in, some of the guys they would have around this program would kind of alleviate those offseason losses, but ultimately it didn't. Uh, Joe Milton is their quarterback uh, rather than Hendon Hooker, and he's just not Hendon Hooker. Hendon Hooker is probably one of the best quarterbacks in Tennessee's history, period. And, you know, I mean, again, there's, there's no offense or nothing against Joe Milton. He's just not that. And ultimately, you know, he's just not playing on a level that you would that you can overcome the things that Tennessee has had to gone through. He's only thrown for about 2,200 uh, yards in this game uh, in this season, I should say, as ultimately this team is very run heavy. It's run dependent. It, it, it doesn't flow through the passing game as previous Tennessee teams did. Of course, on the flip side of that, uh, Jalen Wright, their junior running back, has been a really good player so far. 848 yards on the ground, three touchdowns himself, but then the rest of the backfield. You've got several different guys, including Jabari Small and and Dylan Sampson. Those guys have over 400 yards each, with Sampson seven touchdowns, Small with two, and then even Joe Milton, 301 yards on the ground, five touchdowns. So between all four of those guys, and especially all those three of those running backs, that's where their offense comes from. But their passing game and their receivers have just been weak. They don't have the Jalen Hyatts anymore. Those guys are just gone. And they don't have the Cedric Tillmans anymore. Squirrel White is really the only guy that's been effective for them. And the other guys that have been effective are now on injury. Brew McCoy, he's out with injury. And then Dante Thornton, who had uh, Tennessee's only touchdown against Missouri, also out for the regular season. So brutal injury luck for this offense. So you mentioned it there. Uh, Tennessee is the third most productive rushing offense in the SEC. How has Georgia fared against high-powered rushing attacks this year? They've done pretty well. Um, I think I think there's a couple examples that kind of stand out. Um, I think the two most notable were Auburn and Missouri. Um, Auburn, simply put, they didn't have a running back go over 50 yards against them. Um, it was all Peyton Thorne in that one. And ultimately, like... 
it beat them, and it's been a problem for them all year. And then you turn over to Missouri, and, you know, Brady Cook still found a way to run on them, but not to the same level that Peyton Thorne did. But you know who did? Cody Schrader. Now, let's be real here. Cody Schrader is a great back. He went for 200 yards rushing, 100 yards receiving against Tennessee just last week. So clearly that dude's very good at football. But, you know, I mean, at, at a certain point, it's you can't let these things happen. But there's other really solid performances. Georgia shut down Ray Davis, who was looking like one of the top running backs in college football uh, for Kentucky coming into that Georgia-Kentucky game. They shut him down. You know, they've had other great performances. South Carolina couldn't get anything going. But then Quinchon Judkins, only 75 rushing yards, which is still a solid day. But for a guy that, you know, went 1,500 yards just last year, you know, they kept him lower. Georgia can and will prevent the running game, and they struggle a little bit with, A, the QB run, as well as just overall, you know, if the passing game is really strong for a team, the running game might find a way to, to get going, which, you know, Georgia focused on Luther Burden, shot him down, but Cody Schrader was free to run all over them. So they've done pretty well as far as facing running backs, and I think they'll be able to handle Tennessee's running backs because the passing game isn't a strength for them. But with so many running backs and so much change of pace ability and even Joe Milton being able to get out of there, let alone the fact that it's in Neyland, the running back room could give Georgia a little bit of trouble. So if Georgia's done pretty well at containing the run and Tennessee doesn't have a great passing game, the Volunteers don't have a single ranked win this year, they've got double-digit losses to Alabama, to Missouri, to a, a very middling Florida team, what should Georgia fans be scared of from this Tennessee team. It's almost like the things that Georgia fans should be scared of are what they could do to themselves. You know, turnovers that have let teams like Auburn into games, you know. Those things should absolutely be feared. But what Tennessee can do, if they can get the, the run game really actually going, then that could be a problem for Georgia. Mostly because you'd have to imagine that Glenn Schumann, Smart, and, and the rest of that defensive staff are honing in on that run game. That's the focus. That's the plan. Kind of like the game plan against Kentucky. You would have to assume that. And if that's the game plan and they can't execute it, then that's going to be troublesome. That's going to be a hard thing to battle through. The QB run, just in general, is always going to be difficult. When a quarterback has over 300 yards and five touchdowns, that's something that Georgia needs to look out for and be able to contain like they did with Jackson Dart against Ole Miss. They did a good job at containing Jackson Dart. I think they kept him to, what, less than 20 yards on the game? They need to do that. Those are the things that could be scary. But ultimately, Tennessee's defense is not bad, but it's not great either. It's not all that like good, but it's not as easy to walk over them as it might have been last year. But they're not turnover machines, so I wouldn't say that's super scary either. It's kind of a sad Tennessee team. It's a team that we expected more things out of, and they haven't been able to bring it. But if they do get the run game going, whether it's the running backs or the quarterbacks, I think that's the one thing that Georgia can be scared of, or just taking a million sacks. Uh, as they got one guy on their team that's got about eight in uh, James Pierce Jr. That guy could be threatening. So, an underachieving Tennessee team, but still a ranked team in Georgia's first-ranked matchup on the road this season. What kind of environment are the Bulldogs going to be walking into at Neyland Stadium this weekend? Oh, antagonistic. Uh, incredibly loud. Um, we saw how loud that Georgia got when Ole Miss came into this into uh, town. Neyland Stadium's going to be rocking. There may be a few concerns of are they, you know, they don't really have much to play for at this point. Are they really going to bring it? 
Milan Stadium always brings it. Uh, Rocky Top is one of the toughest places to play in the country uh, just because of how the stadium's constructed, how the fans react, how into it they always are, no matter whether Tennessee is has a chance to, for the college football playoff or if Tennessee has three losses. Tennessee fans are going to bring it, and it's going to be the most antagonistic environment that Georgia's been in. They've been at Auburn, they've been at Vanderbilt, and they've had uh, half of Florida's audience um, against them, but Rocky Top's going to be tough. It's going to be loud, and that might be the biggest thing that Georgia may need to fear about this game. And I think a little bit of that environment this week particularly will just be Tennessee fans want to get Georgia back for last year. Georgia punched Tennessee in the mouth, the number one team in the country, and the Volunteers really never recovered from that game. I mean, they they put together some wins after that, but they never had the juice to be considered a top team in the country. And I think Tennessee fans are upset about that, as they honestly should be. And I think they're gonna want they're gonna want to get some measure of revenge by pulling off a big upset in Knoxville this weekend. Yeah, and also these two teams just don't like each other. This is a plain old rivalry, and I believe this is one of the games that's gonna continue even beyond the SEC East and SEC West games when that whole division thing is is thrown away. Tennessee, I think, is still gonna have Georgia on the schedule. These two teams don't like each other, and and Tennessee definitely doesn't like Georgia for for squandering their chances and. Georgia does that to teams. They beat them. They kind of fall off a cliff. We, we've seen that with Kentucky this year. But I, I can absolutely see those fans wanting revenge. And even, you know, when, you know, this is not something we'll talk about on the podcast. So, But the Iron Bowl, you know, Alabama-Auburn. Auburn is going to have an opportunity to ruin Alabama's chances at the college football playoff. Tennessee also has that opportunity. I would not be surprised if they want to take that away from Georgia. And that absolutely could be giving them some more fire. So, given that Tennessee is going to have a little bit more fire for this game, what is your game pick? Who is your offensive MVP for Georgia? And who is your defensive MVP for Georgia? Yeah, I think that um, Georgia's going to win this game. Um, I think this could be close. Um, Georgia has a tough time at home uh, at, on, uh, on the road. And I'll be honest, uh, we haven't really seen Carson Beck have any other success uh, while traveling. Uh, aside from uh, going to his hometown to Jacksonville. So I could easily see Carson Beck having a little bit of a tough time in this game. But also I can see this being Beck's game to finally prove himself that he can win on the road. I've got Georgia winning this game 38-13. I think Georgia's going to take this one home. If I had to pick an offensive MVP, I picked him last week, and I think that the game design's going to be similar, but I think he'll be leading the pack. I'm going to go with Dejon Edwards for this one. I think that... Georgia's front on both sides of the ball are just superior to whatever Tennessee's bringing, and that's including Georgia's O-line versus Tennessee's D-line. I think Georgia's going to do the exact same thing Missouri did and run it down their throats. They've got an injured linebacking group, which has forced a lot of the younger guys to step in. Guys are dropping like flies over there in Knoxville, and I think Georgia are going to take advantage of it by just pounding the rock. And on the other side of the ball, I'm honestly probably going to go with Tyke Smith. I think they'll probably put Tyke Smith a lot in the slot in this game. I was leaning Kamari Lassiter, just in case they go with that Kamari in the star role, which I could see them doing to shut down Squirrel White, who, again, that's Tennessee's best threat. But I don't think they'll do that because of Julian Humphrey's injury. I think they'll, they'll kind of keep the defense as is. I don't know if they trust Nyland Green to go on the boundary. But for that reason, I'm going to go Tyke. I think he's going to be crucial in shutting down Squirrel White. I think they're going to put him in man a lot. And I think his contribution, whether or not the stats prove it or not, I think he's going to be important for Georgia winning this football game. 
Yeah, uh, I think it's going to be a little bit of a closer game than you do. I think Georgia takes this one 28-17. Um, and I think on offense, Brock Bowers got injured in Georgia's last true road game. It's wild to think about that four games later, he is healthy enough to get on the field, much less have a, a game like I'm predicting. I'm going with Brock Bowers to be my MVP in this one. I think Carson Beck has had some troubles on the road this year, and I think he goes to Brock Bowers to get him rolling in this one. And on defense, I think C.J. Allen played really good in his first game as a starter, and I think George is going to need some really good play from those linebackers to shut down Joe, Mil- Joe Milton in that Tennessee running game. So I think C.J. Allen maybe smile does a little bit on his end too. I think a linebacker shut down the Tennessee running game, and that leads to a Georgia victory. Yeah, uh, I can't blame you too far there. C.J. Allen was awesome. He played far better than Jermon Dumas Johnson. And really, the only thing we're missing out on is uh, Jermon's vision and the way he was able to set up the defense. If C.J. can add that to his game and be consistent, oh boy, the defense might have taken a step up by losing one of its most tenured starters. As we wait to see what C.J. does in his second start, Thank you very much for coming on the show, Owen. John, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Between the Headphones. I'm John James. You can find more episodes wherever you get your podcasts at theredandblack.com. For even more Georgia sports coverage, visit redandblack.com slash sports. We'll tee it up Between the Headphones again next week.